0: Jonathan Kraft. Bloomberg Business of Sports from
1: Bloomberg Radio.
0: Hello I'm Michael
2: Barr. I'm Evan Novi williams
1: And I'm Scott Soschnick. Every week at this time plus Mondays and Wednesdays we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. This week we speak with Rick Burton, professor of sports management at Syracuse University.
0: But first let's look at some of the top stories of the week and let's start Oh, the Nationals. Oh my. They are in the World Series for the first time. I'm sure people in Montreal are like, "Dang, man." Oh,
1: but ticket for him. To... Vladdy Guerrero. Well, I hope Gary so. Gary Carter. Pedro Martinez. Would you buy a ticket to not, see not the Nationals? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know with me. Anytime somebody says, "Would you buy with me?" then the logical question is, "How much is it going to cost me?" And Evan, "How much is this going to cost me?" Yeah, so
2: Nationals, they've they punched their ticket to the World Series. The average price for their 3 games, the the NL team, game 3, game 4, game 5 uh four four thousand two hundred dollars i'm ready to jump in now and, I, i'm ready to
1: jump in and answer your question no <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: I, I will not be purchasing tickets to see the nationals I, play in the I world Series. i figured that
2: was your answer so th- these these numbers according to you know the good friends over at ticket iq this is the in in recent memory you know the last 10 years plus the nationals right now are the second highest ticket we, we've ever seen for for the world series only trailing, you know, the Cubs back in 2016, I think it was when they when they finally broke that curse, and and everyone was talking about, you know, home World Series home games at Wrigley as you know the biggest ticket that you could imagine in sports, maybe second to the Maple Leafs in the in the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, so you know, certainly you know a first for the Nationals here, uh, one that's going to draw a lot of attention. I have an idea.
1: Yeah. because we're going to talk to Rick Burton later on about marketing and LeBron and China and all that. I've got the easiest, what I'm going to say, smartest idea. For an athlete right now. All right. Bryce Harper buys 500 tickets to every game in Washington, donates to charity.
0: Every game? Every
1: game. But there's only, how many games? Were there three? How many? They only, There's we, three. We, there's, yeah, there's there'll three. be three games. Right. So he's got to buy 1,500 tickets. Bryce Harper, he just signed a big contract, you know. Used to play for the Nationals, doesn't anymore, now they're in the World Series.
2: That's a 10. No, it's not a 10. How I, great I, does I,
1: Bryce Harper look if he does this? No hard feeling. Good for you. I'm rooting for the Nationals. I have friends there. Go get them, guys. Ugh.
2: Why? Like, why is he spending, doing the quick math, why is he spending $6 million on tickets? He's not going to have tickets? to spend
1: this. He can get them from baseball. He's not going to spend $4,000 You think Bryce
2: the t- Carper could get 5,000 tickets to I the World Bryce Series offered- from baseball? <laughs> He'll get some tickets.
1: He'll get, him for- He'll get some tickets.
2: <laughs> it's not a terrible idea. Bryce I'm, I'm has upgrading access- the five to like a six and a half. Maybe. Oh, just,
1: such a hater.
0: Uh, here's something that uh, has not been done. Sacramento, they're getting a major league soccer team.
2: Yeah,
1: what are we? Twenty nine. Team number twenty nine. 29? The 29th All team, right. It's very yeah. hard, very hard to keep track. Um, there's always been there were a bunch of cities fighting for it, but what what really got this done? And I, I didn't follow it that closely, bar, but Ron Burkle's involved. Yes. Sports these days is all about who the owners are. Right. It re- it's not enough to just bring money. Night. It it's who are the owners? What do they bring to the league? What else can they do? And having Ron Burkle involved ensures stability for a team. This is what MLS
2: wants. Yeah, the, this team has existed in the USL since 2014, and there has been a push to get this team yeah. up up to MLS, really, for the past six years now. You and know. they will be
1: taking the USL team the, up, They will yeah. be
2: taking the team up. Yeah. Vivek Ranadive, the York family, which owns the, the 49ers, they, they've been involved in some ways, but you're right, Scott, MLS, like all leagues, wants somebody who is the majority stakeholder with a lot of deep pockets, who can afford the expansion fee and also be able to cover costs if things go sour for a couple of years. Ron Burkle joining this group and taking the lead alongside Matt Alvarez earlier this year. I think that was the thing that put them over the hump. $400 million expansion fee, by the way. That, Ooh, that thing that's has, that's has yeah. skyrocketed. That's still in, cheap. In compared compared to... <laughs> future, based on future
0: revenue. Oh, man. Hey, David Tepper, speaking of selling stuff.
1: Speaking of billionaire owners. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, he is selling steak in the Steelers.
2: Yes. his Sold. Steak. Yeah. yeah
1: S-T-A-K-E, S-t- yeah. not S-T-E-A-K. Right. Yes. Which would be I want one right now. I could go for one that. right now too. We ought to think about that, fellas. Oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> but Tepper had ten percent in the Steelers, and as you know, when he bought the Panthers, you must divest of your other ownership interest. He previously sold five percent, so half is holding back to the Rooney family. Mm-hmm. So we what we know is he sold the other five percent. I'm told it's two Pittsburgh guys. That's what I know. Uh, not necessarily still in Pittsburgh, but two Pittsburgh guys. Not Not Mark Mark Cuban. Cuban. (laughs) I did ask my source, is it Mark Cuban? The answer was no. So more local folks joining an ownership group of an NFL team. There's so much to discuss about limited partnerships these days. What do they get for that? How much do they pay? What's the valuation of the team? I'm sorry we don't have those answers. But limited partnerships are a very interesting topic of conversation
2: these days. Am I correct? And you're right, we've talked about this a lot, that that selling these things is kind of difficult depending on what's involved in it. Am I correct in saying that a five percent stake in the Steelers, one of the preeminent yes. NFL franchises? I'm answering now is yes. is not that difficult, difficult to sell. To, yes.
0: Yeah. All you gotta do is just play the clip of Frank O'Harris in the Immaculate Reception. That's it. Hey, that's it. Just it's give done. me the music.
1: I don't even do the, the just give me the music. Behind my <laughs> little. You, you want to give me some Facenda right now?
2: <laughs> anyway, up like, next on the show. Give uh... me some Facenda. Give me some Facenda.
0: Just when all the hearts were broken at Pittsburgh's stadium, all of a sudden, Riding out. I thought you going to take us out. Is Franco
1: Harris. Oh, I thought you were going like the actual text what we were supposed to do auditioning uh, for
2: an NFL films gig yeah. over there. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's
1: John Facenda. <laughs> I, know, I get it.
0: Now let's get to this week's interview with Rick Burton, who is a professor extraordinaire at Syracuse University.
1: Rick, you have so many titles. I mean, the former CMO of the USOC, but right now, near and dear to my frigid heart, The David B. Falk Endowed Professor of Sports Management at SU, my alma mater. But here's my favorite part. It's not just the College of Sport. It's the College of Sport and Human Dynamics yeah whatever that means but, uh, yeah. it actually
3: uh, it actually means a lot. It covers our departments like social work and public health and nutrition and uh what used to be called child and family studies, which I think is now family sciences so it's uh it's a great college up at s u and you know you're familiar, Scott with the newhouse school and Really, what Syracuse now has is a very uh, dynamic college of sport, and uh, it's a huge part of the the global economy, and so I'm glad to be a part of it. I would assume
1: that real life gives you a fertile ground with which things you can talk about, Uh, and do you discuss or does it quickly make its way into the classroom things like the National Basketball Association, LeBron James, Daryl Morey, and China? Do you rip from the headlines to take from law and order?
3: Yeah, you have to. And 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 I think the kids expect it, in, and I say kids, I mean, these are college students who are kind of generally between the ages of 18 and 22, and they want to work in the sports industry. And they obviously need to be in a position where they can talk about what's really going on out there. And I guess one of my good fortunes is, you know, I previously worked in the world. Uh, so it's the kind of thing where I'm not I, suppose, I hope, uninformed about what's really going on.
1: Well, you were also a commissioner of the NBL in Australia, Basketball League. So you bring so many different perspectives to this. We're trying to have an intelligent conversation about what happened between the NBA, Morey, China, LeBron. Where do you begin to make sense of it for a multi-billion dollar company, which is what the NBA is? LeBron, a almost billion dollar corporation unto himself. Where do you begin to sort of sort this all out?
3: Well, it's funny you bring it up. I had assigned uh, a little while ago a reading, a Stanford Graduate School of Business case that was written by a friend of mine, a guy named George Foster. And it's really about NBA globalization. And one of the things that you have to think about is that David Stern, a good friend of both of ours, um, saw years and years ago that the NBA needed to think about itself as a global entity. And it needed to be able to cross borders. And I think he was very much ahead of the curve relative to the other sports leagues in the United States. Uh, and what's been built over the last couple of years is probably billions of dollars in revenue coming from sponsorship, from licensing, from merchandising, from broadcasting, and and so it, it's the the way to talk about this subject is how important is China to the NBA? The short answer is it's hugely important, and then if you have a representative of the NBA, which Daryl Morey you know constitutes you have to be able to understand that you have the potential to offend people in other places.
2: How instrumental was David Stern and the NBA in making basketball popular over there versus just lucking into being the sport that billions of people in China want to play or watch?
3: Well, I think you know there were a couple of factors. I think a lot of it really took off when Yao Ming was the number one draft pick for the Rockets. And I think that at that point... Uh, the NBA more fully realized what international players could do for the game. Um and and I think I take a little bit of issue not that you're wrong but I think it's a way for listeners to kind of reframe or put in the right context. When we talk about the NFL being the biggest league in the world, I think there could be people who would challenge that and say that the English Premier League with Manchester United and City and Liverpool and Arsenal are possibly bigger in terms of their global scope, mm. and and not in revenue. Di- yeah, yeah, I don't disagree with the numbers. I mean, the NFL is massive, um, but I think what's been going on over the last few years is that the NBA has proven that it has much more global relevance than the NFL, and and I think that when you're, you're kind of in a business school setting, you're trying to actually help people predict where are the trends relative to business. And I, you know, I, I worry for the NFL on one level because of the concussions, but I also worry just because they're not going to be able to get very many other countries to play the game and to have their children grow up with any kind of avidity for what a lot of people call American gridiron. Um, and, and so I think basketball and soccer have much more upside, and that becomes pretty interesting to the sponsors and the way that media is going to move in the future.
0: Does China need the NBA, or does the NBA need China? I'd be
3: inclined to say the NBA needs China. And and the reason for that is I read an article in Singapore one time, and it was that a, a Chinese representative was saying that if China wanted to create a basketball league bigger than the NBA, they could. And you have to think about scale here. They have 1.5 billion people, and basketball is the number one sport. And there's nothing to prevent Chinese teams from actually offering crazy money to American superstars to go and play in China. And uh, so there, there could be the possibility that China could create a league. It has one, the CBA that could have hundreds of millions, if not a billion followers.
1: By the way, run by Yao Ming.
3: Yeah, and it would immediately dwarf the NBA in scale. Uh, So uh, I think the NBA needs China more, although the the proper diplomatic answer would be to say they both need each other.
2: For what it's worth, Rick, there are Chinese soccer teams that have done kind of this idea that you're talking about that they've offered a significant amount of money to players certainly more than players would have gotten in Europe and I think they've had some success but I do think that the the Chinese league is still kind of struggling even if that was the goal to to offer so much money that that you bring the talent over they're still kind of struggling I think to break into a tier that that has you know a lot of these incumbent European leagues
3: already in it yeah, no, you're exactly right. And I think that uh, the great players of the world are always going to want to go where the great competition is. And right now, the you know, the best players in the world all come to the U.S. and Toronto to play uh, in the NBA. Uh, but again we are, we have to think about things and how they might look in the future and you know does amazon change things does google or facebook i mean we have to think about the new media providers and how people are going to possibly watch games download games uh a la carte menus where you can buy a game and slowly but surely you can sometimes have the talent shift from one place to another uh, and, and I'm not saying that it will happen, but I think you always have to talk about the potential for it to happen. And that's why I think Adam Silver is being very thoughtful about how do I resolve this situation in China to the best of you know my owner's interests going forward.
1: Mr. Burton, you mentioned Adam Silver earlier. Let me ask you, how did he do in that first statement? And then why did he put out a second one? And how did that one do?
3: I actually think he did pretty well, Um, and and I think that what he did was he protected um, the rights belief that everyone has a freedom of speech and can say anything they want. And then I think he played very much to the interests of China, which was to show the respect that I imagine they needed shown. Uh, in order for the NBA to continue to do the kind of business it wants in China. Uh, Listen, I could be wrong about it, but I'm a fan of Adam, and I think he walked the tightrope really cleanly, and it seemed that the furor over the situation was starting to die down already by about day three or day four. Uh, And so anytime you get that kind of a response, someone did a a number of things correctly.
1: Can you, if if you would, tried and pretend what the conversation would be like. Put yourself in Tillman Fertitta's shoes. He's the owner of the Rockets, and if there's going to be any long-standing damage, it seems perhaps it'll be the Rockets and the brand there. What do you think the conversation is, was, will be between Tillman Fertitta and Daryl Morey?
3: You know, I'd like to think that Daryl... Would be saying, "Hey boss, I'm I'm sorry I put us in this place," and and I would hope that the owner, recognizing that Daryl is a great GM, uh, would be saying, "Hey guys, you know we got to be thoughtful about this in the future." Uh, you know the Rockets have a lot of value in China because Yao played here. Uh, we need to understand that if we say it the wrong way, it potentially hurts us. Uh, but my guess is, you know, I don't think he's taking Daryl out to the woodshed. I think he's probably just saying, hey, guys, let's heighten our awareness on, on issues like this. I'm not trying to take away your right to free speech, but I am telling you that, you know, if this just cost me $50 million, uh, I'm not real happy about that. And I just made up the $50 million. I mean, the number could be anywhere from well, probably $5 probably north million of there, to, yep. Yeah, you know, but I think it, it's probably not a bad guess that, the rockets are going to lose some kind of value, uh, and, and you know the owner's got to care about that.
2: Do you think there's a, a reckoning potentially coming for for a lot of leagues like the NBA that, that get into business with money directly tied to governments? But then, when political issues pop up, suddenly they're in you know hot water, or they're navigating thorny issues.
3: I'm I'm not, Evan. I think the my position is that uh, a lot of things that can create headlines uh, may not really matter to both the rank and file, and even in some cases, uh, to the owners or the operators of leagues. I I wonder if we haven't reached a stage in in pop culture or contemporary culture where, you know, if I say the sky is blue, somebody is offended by that. Uh, If I do business in this country, someone's offended by that. And I have to expect that, and I I need to learn how to wear it um, and manage it when it happens. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I just think it's a reality probably of running a team or a league um, and wanting to work in a global economy. And and I think that you can't say I'm never going to go into this country or I'm never going to go into that city because this happened. I'm going to write off that entire population because this very small percentage back here may be offended by that. Uh, It's more, I'm going to do the very best I can in the interest of my stakeholders or my investors.
0: We're talking with Rick Burton, professor at Syracuse. But I wonder, in China or, or wherever, how has this controversy impacted sports gambling on the NBA?
3: It's a really, really good question, and, and I don't know that I can give you the answer. Uh, we know that gambling, as, especially as it's approved on a state-by-state basis in the United States, is, is going to lift dramatically, and there's going to be a lot more revenue generated, at least domestically. Uh, I think in other countries where gambling is much more uh, commonplace, you're going to have to understand that... Uh, it's a huge part going forward, and, and I think the systems that are going to allow easy gambling uh, are going to increase. Uh, in Australia, uh, a lot of people have apps, um, and they, the app knows what sport you like. They know your betting tendencies. They make it easy for you to put a 50-cent bet on the next cricket ball, uh, on, you know, on the next shot, on the next goal. Uh, And and you've got a lot of people around the world that really love gambling on sport. And and so as it relates to China, I'm not enough of an expert to know the tendency to gamble in China, but I have to imagine it's there. uh, And the NBA is probably hoping to get a piece of that action relative to Chinese gambling.
1: Mr. Burton, LeBron James seemed to have stepped in it a little bit. Uh, Pretty much his comments were well Daryl was misinformed you know that that's where it came there was a lot of backlash on on LeBron who widely considered a a social justice warrior but didn't seem to take a stand on this is there blowback for LeBron did he handle it
3: well I don't know if he handled it well, but I'm not expecting there to be blowback. I mean, I think, uh, you know, the, the famous cliche on people like Michael Jordan and LeBron is that they transcend the game. They're bigger than the game. And uh, I think these things, you know, flare up briefly and are, and are relatively forgotten. I turned on ESPN.com this morning, and he made a no-look pass, and it was the lead story, I think, on ESPN this morning. There was nothing about, you know, his political positioning or social Activism. It was he had gone to the rack and, and, and at the last minute had thrown this no-look pass behind his back. And it was a good pass. You too. know, Jimmy to the corner this anecdote, and green drains the three, and everybody's happy. And it's preseason. So, you know, I think LeBron gets attacked if he's not a social activist. He's going to get attacked. And he knows this, and Maverick Carter, his staff knows it, um, that if he says anything, there's going to be someone who's offended. And uh, so I think he felt he needed probably to protect his business interests in China, um, that if he sat silently, um, he would lose a form of face or he would lose cachet with an audience that's very important to him.
1: You think LeBron uh, in the future, uh, uh, before he goes to China or teams in general, let's say the next team that goes to China, do you sit with someone prior to? I know they I mean, these teams generally have some talks. NBA executives get it when they travel, but this is going to have to be hammered home. Things you cannot do. What are the protocols? What might be considered an insult somewhere? Not here. You just sort of maybe need to go uh, go to school before you take these trips.
3: You know, I'm a former league commissioner down in Australia, and there were things that I would talk to the players about, but never about what they were going to say. If, if they are employees of the teams they work for, and, and uh, you you don't want to get into telling them how to dress. David Stern went through that, uh, telling them what to say or what not to say. Uh, you have to be concerned about their health and well-being, and you have to be concerned about uh, whether they're bringing the game into disrepute. Uh, I don't think Adam Silver is trying to call up LeBron and say, hey, you know, if you fire back on Daryl Morey, that brings the game into disrepute. He may think it, but I don't think he says it. Uh, Because I think he's got to ultimately swing around to the other side that LeBron is entitled to his opinions, just as Daryl was. Uh, And we can't now have the media pick a side and say, well, Daryl was wrong and LeBron is right or vice versa.
0: It was much easier 20 years ago to contain something like this because simply you didn't have Twitter. Uh, If someone made a comment, they made it in the locker room or they made it during a press conference. Now, with Twitter and social media, uh, everybody has a voice.
3: Yeah, We knew that. I mean, Shaq was great. I mean, it it, it kind of breaking that barrier. I mean, I I remember one of the famous tweets when Twitter had just come out and like Shaq said, hey, I just finished taking a shower and I'm going to go get a cheeseburger. And, and, you know, some part of the world thought the, the world was ending because now we could follow Shaq on a minute by minute basis.
1: Remember when David Stern wanted to put cameras in the locker room at halftime? And there was like this explosion of, whoa, what about privacy? (laughs) I mean, we've come quite a long way.
3: And now we've got mics in the huddles and and the the umpires are mic'd. And and, I mean, uh, we've been, you know, we're taking the fan. They want to go into the locker room. They want to go out onto the field. And I think if you look at augmented reality, virtual reality in the future, uh, you you know, the fan is going to want to be in the huddle with Tom Brady. And and I think we'll see that before too long because there will be cameras mounted in the helmets.
2: Rick, I want to sh- shift gears a little bit real quick and talk about the Olympics, something that you know obviously a lot about. We talked on this podcast last week about some changes that the U- United States Olympic Committee ha- had recently made about marketing rules and r- marketing restrictions around the Games, uh, essentially loosening the, the restrictions for companies that are not official partners of either the IOC or the USOPC. How big a deal is that i mean you you ran partnerships for, for the u s o c for for the for the Beijing games. How big a deal are these changes that we 're seeing heading into next
3: year uh, well, first, i want to thank you for giving that small shout out to the paralympics to the p I knew
1: you were going to say the p i knew it the
3: u s o p c and 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 really a shout out to the para athletes and and the paralympics that's um,
1: why we have novi Williams with the underscore 's the attention to detail
3: <laughs> yeah and uh, so props there um, listen i think it's it 's significant because Uh, A lot of people have wanted to do more, and and the real challenge for the Olympic movement is we really only see it every two years, and and there's a pretty big gap between how big the winter games are and the summer games. The summer games are much bigger. Um, So a, a lot of times the Olympic movement seems to go off the radar for an extended period of time, and then it will pop back up for 17 days in August and then drop back off again for two years. Uh, If you want partners involved, you've got to probably have a larger pool of them that you can work with, and you've got to give them more access for them to keep the games front and center. And I I think the USOPC and the IOC understand that. Listen, it's a tricky field, you know, filled with landmines. And that's probably a bad metaphor. But I I think it's a good thing. And I think Sarah from the USOPC is doing a great job of trying to contemporize, um, you know, that organization as well as the IOC. Rick
0: Burton, the former CMO of the USOC and professor at Syracuse. Thank you so much, sir, for talking with us.
3: Guys, it's been great being with you and keep doing it.
0: I love Rick's answer when he was talking about does the NBA need China or does China need the NBA? Oh, because you asked the question. That's well, why, yeah, that—that you know, that that Pat too. yourself on the back, Yeah, bar. Well, thank you. Ow. <laughs> but <laughs> but, but it, it's an interesting paradox. And, and he said it's like, look, okay, the diplomatic answer is can't we all get along? But the bottom line is China can start its own league if it wanted to, uh, which has to make the NBA. A little worried
1: yeah well what i really love about rick is he's worn so many hats like he doesn't just work at a league at some point but he was the commissioner of the australian basketball league he has been a marketer for the usoc so he understands the company perspective as well as the athlete perspective a lot of times you get people who've sort of taken one track in this industry and they know that track here you get a nice 360 view from someone who is now imparting that wisdom on the folks who will shape the industry that is why i love talking to one rick burton
2: yeah and 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 one more quick takeaway regarding the olympics you know he you know ran partnerships for the us opc for 2008 games you know so he knows this world very well i'm very curious about what these new changes happen i don't think it's a, it's it's a coincidence but you know we're talking about the nba in china right it, which is a story about big big money sponsors who are kind of dictating policy and then we're also talking about the olympic changes which are about much smaller companies that are getting their way kind of against the will of the biggest, richest, uh, corporate backers of the Olympic movement. Uh, so very interesting heading into the Tokyo games next year to see how different the Olympics look like from a marketing perspective. And if Rick is right, that, you know, even though they're upset about some of the changes that the biggest money, the big ticket sponsors aren't going to walk away or reduce their dollars in the wake of the
1: changes. nowhere else to go. Yeah. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since I'm a
0: kid. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike.
1: We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good
0: numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Number of the week, two numbers, which is easy. Two, num- two numbers. But the, the key is <laughs> numbers the, he, the, we the question. You give it one job
1: every week. It never comes <laughs> in the way we.
0: <laughs> but, then, but the question that's going to follow is oh. your expertise. 0 and 16 0 and 16
2: Oh, and 16. Um, the record that the dolphins are going to have That's just what weeks. I was going to
0: ask <laughs> will they will they be winless this season
1: Oh, I have no idea though. But do they play the Jets again? Yes, of course they do, right? They play them the twice. twice no, oh, they're not, sure. not going to be. Have they played once. I'm not even sure if they, <laughs> they played have, I don't once. Know, they won't be winless. It,
2: it certainly seems un- unlikely. I mean, you would think that you know any given Sunday is a is a trope, but you know there's not. It doesn't feel like there's that much difference between the Jets and maybe the next. Nah, pro football. The they'll and, win one. They'll, they'll get it done.
1: They'll figure it out. They'll get it done.
0: Two other teams that were winless: the Detroit Lions, and of course, yeah, fairly were. recent. <laughs> The the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, they were Oh, and 16.
2: Didn't the Buccaneers do it at some point? Or yes, they did know? too, yeah. right? But yeah. they but that was a 14 I sent you a good
3: yeah, golf
1: okay. number of the week I thought we were going for, well, it. you went sorry, off script. Man. I'm sorry.
2: She shot like 60, uh, 68 stroke penalty. Oh, the one with the penalty. Oh, yeah. 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 How, how do
1: we not talk about that? Uh, well You just did. And then she <laughs>
2: burned the last hole. <laughs> There's a rule that
1: you can't putt if your
2: caddy's behind you? What? I, I, I... I think it's a new rule, and oh. she was unaware of it. And Plus, because she, she was away from the game for yeah, a while. Yeah, she needed a two-stroke penalty for every, for every putt time she, she hit it. in the tournament oh, through man. the first round and a half. terrible. Yeah, she yeah. had like 60-something strokes and penalties. Yeah, it was a 58-stroke penalty. 58, yeah. Anyway. There's you your the number, number cut. of the week. No. It's cut. 2 0 <laughs> oh, <and> 16 <laughs>
0: You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcasts. You can catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big
1: Bar
2: Sports. I'm Evan Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. And I'm
1: Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick. Thank you very much for joining us. Please tune in next week when we speak with the gregarious Sal Galatioto, founder of Galatioto Sports Partners. Got an interesting idea with a major league baseball fund although I don't think he can talk about it what the lawyers are saying but well, we'll ask him anyway <laughs> <laughs> you're
0: listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world